Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Sometimes people like to make notes. We're going to jump from Scripture to Scripture. Can can you guys turn that off? The, The blue screen is... Blue light bothers me, so especially when it's flashing in a car behind me. But uh, you know, uh, we we uh, we have struggles sometimes in life, and we uh, sometimes people get so focused on taking notes they're missing the message. So I'm going to make a note sheet after today. If you want it available, you, you just let Megan know and, and we'll make sure you get a copy. We'll email it to you, a note sheet from today, so uh, we, we can take care of that. Uh, but sta- the focus this morning is standing alone together. No, that's not an oxymoron. They're not two things that they seem opposites, but they're not. We are standing alone together. Now, as a good friend of mine once said, let me explain it to you, okay? (laughs) Uh, So we're going to start out in 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we're going to start there, and we're going to look at several different passages. Uh, If it's easy for you to click on, then click there or turn there. Uh, I want you to be able to see this is God's word, but we're going to look at a bunch of different passages today. Uh, Some of them I will just read. Some of them we'll look at together. Well, I'll do all the reading, but some of them I won't ask you to turn to. Some of them I'll just read those for you. So the first thing that I want you to think about standing alone together is that we are standing alone in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Standing alone in a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't know everybody here today. I know a lot of the people here today. I like everybody that I know here today. I like the people that I've met here today. Uh, But whether I like you or not has nothing to do with whether you get in heaven. You get in heaven by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, how we do that is we ask him to forgive our sins, and he does, because he's an awesome, kind, and gracious God, and that's what he does. We ask him to forgive our sins. We put our faith and trust in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us, taking our sins upon himself, that he rose from the grave, and then ascended into glory, and so... We trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that's how we are saved. And once we are saved, then we are adopted into God's family. We're his forever. Isn't that cool? Um, And my little brother pointed out that mom and dad could have got rid of me, but but he was adopted, and so they couldn't. Uh, The judge told my dad, when you adopt this boy, he's yours. You accept responsibility till he's at least 18 years old. Uh, The other boys, you can turn them over to the state. But uh, this one, you got to keep. So when you trust Christ, you're adopted into God's family forever. It doesn't mean you're sin free, but it does mean you become God's child and you're his forever. So we're... 
I, I asked you to turn to uh, 1 John 5, hopefully, and hopefully you're there. Uh, look in verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God, now the Son of God is a position that Jesus held before he came to earth, while he was on the earth, when he ascended up from the earth and now ruling in heaven. He is God the Son and the Son of God. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. If you reject Jesus, God rejects you because he requires faith in Christ. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So right now, if there's anyone in here who's not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, we would love to have somebody open the scripture and show you how you can trust Christ. Oh, we would take time to do that. You could do that right now just by stepping to the back. Somebody would come and meet with you and partner with you and share with you from God's word so that you could know that you have eternal life in Christ. You need to stand alone in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what makes the difference in the life to come. See, any old faith helps you in this life. I, I mean, I've known people who put their faith in the, the white, great white horse that would take them to the happy hunting ground. I've had people put their faith in uh, all kinds of things. Some who put their faith in the fact that when you die, you're just dead. They believe in, uh, they don't disbelieve anything spiritual. Uh, but the truth is, any faith helps you in this life. So, sociologists, scientists, uh, psychologists, any faith helps you in this life. You could believe in the great white elephant and that would help you in this life to believe something bigger than yourself. But only putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ prepares you for the life to come. Amen. So we need to do that. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. Second thing is that we need to be standing true to the Spirit's leading in your own heart and life. Standing true to the Spirit's leading in your own heart and life. We're going to jump over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read some verses here. And before we get there, I want to say you are not an authority in other people's lives unless God has put you in a position of authority. God sometimes puts people in a position of authority. How many of you in this room have had kids? Raise your hand. Yeah. 
And if you had kids, then for a while they lived in your house and they were under your authority, uh, then you were an authority in their life. So listen, God sometimes puts you in a position of authority. And now parents, listen, especially parents of teenagers, you are still an authority until they leave your house. But once they leave your house, you're now an advisor. You're no longer an authority. Uh, but when your kids are teenagers or kids, then you're an authority. Uh, maybe you're a teacher or a supervisor or a manager or police officer or government official or even church leader. Uh, then God has put you in positions of authority. And that's when you can use authority appropriately as the Bible defines and describes. But this part, Paul's talking about just peer group, right? We're all peers. Nobody has authority over another. And so here's what he says in uh, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Who are you to judge another man, another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Pause right there. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. See, you have to figure out what works for you. I know people that they, they hate anything to do with Christmas. It's all pagan. It's all terrible. And other people, they just love Christmas. They put lights everywhere. They have massive trees. Uh, listen, you have to be convinced in your own mind. Nobody's an authority over what you do. Now, there are pagan ways to worship God and there are true ways to worship God. You got to do it true. You got to honor scripture. And, and if you... <laughs> if you participate in anything to do with myths of Christmas, I think then you're contradicting the scripture. We celebrate Jesus Christ. Uh, same thing with the Easter time, Resurrection Day. We People get it all mixed up and they love this fun stuff. We have to focus on Jesus. But listen, one person esteems one day above another Another esteems every day alike. It's okay if you feel passionately one way or the other. God allows some measure of grace. Then he says in verse 6, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So we have to recognize our individual and collective accountability to God. And what happens is, People get so habitually attuned to what works for them, they start looking down on other people who look at things differently. I, I know, uh, you know, people who love steak, they look down on vegetarians and vegans. And I know vegans who look down on anybody who would ever meet, eat anything that had a mother. 
They think that's just absolutely wrong. I'm, that, I was, I'm serious. That's, they think it's wrong to eat anything that has had a mother. So they'll eat plants and legumes, but, but nothing that was birthed. And it's okay. The problem is when a vegan tells me it's evil to eat chicken or pork or beef. Or if I tell a vegan, you must eat this beef. No, we allow people to be different. Different doesn't mean wrong. Right? We're all going to say that together. Ready? Different doesn't mean wrong. What it means is different. It's okay. Now, I know people in this room who eat these really weird things that grow under the sea and they love them and they scarf them down and it's disgusting. And you know what? God thinks it's just fine. And it's fine with me as long as they don't feed it to me, as long as I don't have to watch them slurp it out of the half shell, you know, then, then I'm okay with it. All right, look at verse 9. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Or... Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jump down to verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. So don't look down on other people because they're different. Let's say it again. Different is not wrong. It's just different. Okay? Remember that, each one fully persuaded in their own mind. Now, that gives you more responsibility. No longer can you say, well, my pastor says, doesn't matter what your pastor says, what does the Holy Spirit say in your life in response to the word of God? That's what you need to follow. Now, yes, pastors have some measure of authority in the church by God's design and God's calling, and that's okay with God, and we honor that, but I'm not an authority in your home. And you have to do, in honor of a good conscience before God, you have to submit to him so you have more responsibility. I remember when I was a teenager, my dad used to say, we'd ask if we could do something, and dad'd say, uh, whatever you think, and then we do it and then we get in trouble. <laughs> and he said, you thought wrong. <laughs> See, you have responsibility directly to God. You answer to him. The church can help you in the process of educating you what God's word says, but we can't step in between you and God. That's the role of Jesus Christ alone. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Nobody else. So... All right, first thing we looked at, thought about standing alone in a personal relationship. Secondly, uh, is standing true to the Spirit's leading in your own heart and life. You answer for yourself. You can't blame it on someone else if you're wrong. You have to stand on your own for that. Thirdly, we need to be standing against those who corrupt the teachings of Scripture standing against those who corrupt the teachings of Scripture. Please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Standing against those who corrupt the teachings of Scripture. 
Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 8. Paul says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that what we have preached to you, let him be, what's that word? Accursed. accursed. Now, it's not a kind, friendly, let him be accursed word. No, no, it's let him be accursed. Now, he's not swearing at him. He's saying, you mess with the gospel, you should be put out of the assembly, you should be separated, you should not be included, no one should be encouraged to follow you. And then he wants to make sure they get it right. So verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now I could go into detail of what exactly he meant uh, the words that he used in that accursed, it's even more profound in the Greek than it is in the English. Uh, he really wants these people cut off from the assembly and not included in the church at all. We need to stand against those who corrupt the teachings of Scripture. Over the last 12 months, I've uh, read or listened to audiobooks of more than 36 books that were supposedly Christian. They come in the Christian section of the library, the Christian section of the bookstore, and they are not Christian at all. Now, I did absolutely, totally agree with one of those books, because I read the Bible last year. Uh, but I didn't agree completely with all the others, but there were some that I really strongly disagreed with. They were corrupting the gospel message. They were saying, well, you need to believe on Jesus and do this and that and this and that. Or you get to heaven based on your works. God weighs, you know, your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get to go up to heaven. But if your bad works outweigh your good works, oops, down to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. We trust Jesus Christ as Savior. The worst, most wicked people who trust Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are welcome in heaven just as much as the kind, gracious, sweet uh, person who trusted Christ because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, and we measure our goodness like here's really good people and here's really bad people. Uh, but when God looks down from heaven, there's like just this itty bitty little layer of mud between you and the worst person and you and the best person from God's perspective. We all fall short. We each need to trust Christ. So um, one of those writers in one of the books, a couple of them actually, I read one by him and one by somebody else, but uh, they, they, he's called a pastor of a large church. Uh, he's leading people away from the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. Instead of encouraging them and then challenging them to trust and follow the Lord, he's actually leading them away. So he has a large gathering of people, but he doesn't have a church because they're not following Jesus. And that's what the church does. The church follows Christ. So compare what you're hearing, compare what you're reading with the truths of scripture and then reject the bad stuff. Turn away from the bad stuff. As somebody said, you know, spit out the bones, right? You, you reject it. You don't swallow it. So uh, what we need to do is stand against those who corrupt the teaching of scripture. And then fourthly, we need to be standing apart from Christians 
who are not following the scripture. So you see a reference there on your screen to turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. And uh, don't be jumping down. Well, we'll go ahead and read the verse first. Because you're already turning there. You're already looking at it. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. I, I want to talk to you about a couple of things from this verse. First of all is the tradition. Now, Kathy and I were part of a church uh, that I was actually co-pastoring in that church for a short time before God uh, led us here. And uh, one Sunday morning, uh, I wanted to do a song because th this was the order of service. It wasn't quite chiseled in stone on the outside of the building, but, but it was pretty close. We had uh, the opening prayer, and then we had the choir special, and then we had the congregational song, and then we had another special, uh, and then the announcements, and then we had uh, another special, and then we had the uh, congregational uh, or the choir song, and then we had a congregational song, and then another special, and then finally preaching. It was something like that. There were two or three specials and two choir specials every single service, and it was all exactly modulated. I mean, they have the exact same format every week. They just sometimes change the hymn numbers, you know? And one Sunday that I was preaching, I put a third song in the schedule. Kathy was playing the piano. They were at choir practice. And all of a sudden somebody yells out choir practice. Oh no, the schedule of service is wrong. There's a third song in there for the congregation to sing. Oh, yeah, it wasn't wrong. It was just different, right? It wasn't wrong. But they thought it was wrong because they had this tradition. Now, sometimes we have traditions that are so important to us but they're not important to God. We need to reject those traditions. The traditions of men can lead us astray. So Paul's not saying, hey, you follow our personal choices, our personal selections and the traditions that we love, you have to absolutely follow that. No, he's saying you have to follow the traditions they were teaching that was following God's word. You take God's word and then you stick with that. You don't get to make up your own rules. You don't get to change things. I don't get to tell you the pastor is the fourth person in the Trinity and you must bow before me. I can't say that because that's not what God's word says. Although I've met a couple pastors who kind of believe that. Uh, but the truth is we follow the convictions that we get from God's word. And those are the traditions that are received from the apostles and from the Lord. We follow the word of God, not the preferences or even the convictions of one or two or 2,000 people. We follow God's word. Now, just because someone disagrees with you does not mean they're wrong. God allows freedom of choice in some areas. But our freedom of choice does not include sin. Years ago, when Norm Shiley was chairman of our deacons, and, and uh, Norm and I were meeting with a guy 
and we were counseling with him. He was a member of the church, but he was struggling in an area of his life, significant area. And so uh, what, what's now a storage room over here was a meeting room at that time. And Norm and I met in there with, with this guy and we sat down and we showed him from scripture how what he was doing needed to change. And here was his response. Come on, guys. It's the only vice I have left. You ought to let me have one. And what would you think we should have said to that? No, we shouldn't. That's not what God's word says. Now, will you sin at some point in this calendar year? Uh, if you haven't already, you will at some point this year, unless the Lord raptures us right now. It's going to happen later on this year. Okay, and probably you already have. But the thing is, when we sin, we repent, we correct. We don't just let it go. We don't just say, that's the way I am. Because when you just follow your own heart, you go the wrong way. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will lead you astray if you're not correcting your life to God's word. All of us, each of us need to do that. Our freedom of choice cannot include sin. So when something is clearly described in scripture as sin, then you do not have the freedom to allow that in your life, and I do not in my own. Uh, they're disagreeing with scripture. There are people who are now trying to reinterpret the scripture. They want to say, well, I know what the Bible says, but that's not really what it means. God loves everybody so much, it doesn't matter how they live. Well, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what the apostles said. I even, one of the books I read last year, the guy kept going on and on and on about, Jesus never said anything about what? All, you know, not once in all the gospels did Jesus say anything about this thing that he was endorsing. But did Jesus tell us to follow the teachings of the apostles? Yes, he did. And the apostles, several of them wrote about that very thing that author was saying should be acceptable. It's not. It's contrary to God's revelation, contrary to God's word. And so we should correct ourselves. The problem is there's some Christians who are obnoxious, who's, who they're mean, and they act like God hates sinners. Read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves them. Doesn't love their sin, but he does love them. That's how we should respond. With love first, showing his love, and then sharing his truth as we have that opportunity. So we partner only with churches of like faith and practice. There are some churches here in this town who call themselves churches who are not following God's word. So we can't partner with those churches. There are others that are following God's word to the best of their ability, and we can partner with those churches. So we need to stand apart from Christians who are not following the scripture. Just step back. You know, uh, we had one lady here years ago, um, 
she left her husband and moved in with her boyfriend. And we visited with her and we told her that was wrong, based very clearly on clear revelation from God's word. And she left the church and never came back and eventually <coughs> married the boyfriend. And, and then she had another friend who was also coming to our church who was not a member. And, and that person was so offended that we would reject her friend that she left the church. I said, we didn't reject her. She rejected God's word. So you and I need to follow God's word. God makes the rules. We don't. He does. And we need to follow him. So we are going to stand apart from them. But we also then need to stand beside those who have fallen. And we need to be helping them back to a closer fellowship with the Lord. Standing beside them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5.20, I'm going to go ahead and read that. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do we have any accountants in the room? No? Okay. No accountants. Any of you do your own books at home? Okay, got a bunch of hands that went up. All right, you know how you reconcile something? You, you take all of your debits and all of your credits and you fit them together and you do a balance sheet and it says, I have these assets and I have these negatives and, and you want to make sure that you're solvent. And so you evaluate things. You try and make it balance out. Uh, see, we have a debt. Uh, there was a fun duo of guys who sung some fun songs. Some of them aren't very scriptural now that I look back and see, but at the time I thought it was great Christian music, you know. And, but one of the songs was, he paid a debt, uh, oh no, I owed a debt, he paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins away. And they did this really fun sing song, guitar strumming, it was fun. And, uh, but you know, the truth is, you had a debt a massive debt that you couldn't pay. And Jesus Christ paid it for you. So he reconciled you to God. The credit of Jesus' righteousness exceeded the debt of your sinfulness and you were reconciled to God. But see, that's, that's just in salvation. Then we need reconciled to God on a, on a daily basis by correcting ourselves back to God's word. So if you are aware that somebody's living in a sinful way, you could talk with them and encourage them to repent of that and, and get right with God. And that would be reconciliation. In fact, Jeff Miller, I think, was sharing his testimony here one year. And what year did you get saved, Jeff? How old were you? I don't know, eight or nine. Eight or nine years old. And then there was a time when he just kind of strayed away from that and following the Lord wasn't very important. And then he got reconciled to God a little bit later, right about the time Sherry married you, right? She, she straightened you out. So. 
<laughs> and, and so sometimes we, we can get astray and we need reconciled to God. We need reconciled in salvation. That's the most important part. But then in our ongoing Christian life, we need brought back to God. And so we need to be standing beside those who have fallen. We need to be helping them back to a closer fellowship with the Lord. Now look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at this twice, so don't turn away from it. We'll be back. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, I know a story of a pastor in Texas who I met when I was going to Bible college in Texas and he was a he, he was a long-term pastor he was a good man uh, but sometimes he was hard he sometimes he was a little bit harsh seeming but I'll tell you what he handled this one situation in his church with amazing grace uh, he had a guy that he led to the Lord the guy had come out of alcoholism he had he had been struggling and he got right with God and he's got through rehab and he was following the Lord and then he slipped up one time. And one night he slipped up and he went into a bar and as alcoholics often do, he drank till he was past thinking clearly. And uh, he stumbled out of the bar and ran into his pastor. And he said, oh, pastor, I'd give anything if I could keep you from seeing me in this condition tonight. And the pastor, who happened at the time to also be the chancellor of the Bible college I was going to, he said, how long has it been since you'd had a drink? He said, I made it almost a year and a half. And the pastor said, praise God. Maybe next time you can make it at least two years. And that man never had another drink again. And by the time I heard that story, that man was serving as chairman of deacons in the pastor's church because his life was radically transformed Become a, because a brother came alongside and encouraged him instead of bad-mouthing him and belittling him. Did he mess up? Yes. Was he aware that he messed up? Yes. See, repentance is an individual thing. You have to do it on your own. But our job is to come alongside people and encourage them toward that repentance. Church is not for perfect people. It's for people who are striving to follow the Lord, who sometimes fail, get back up, repent, and then serve the Lord again. We don't expect perfection, but neither do we excuse sin. We need to repeatedly correct ourselves back in our attitudes and our behaviors. Uh, we need to encourage other people. Uh, we need to follow what's demanded in Scripture, not just encouraged in Scripture. And when someone genuinely repents, this, this is really important. When someone genuinely repents, there's going to be sorrow over their sin. There's going to be, I don't know a better way to describe it than, than brokenness. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a grief 
over their sin. See, sometimes people demand forgiveness. You're a Christian, you have to forgive me. Well, Jesus didn't forgive on demand. He forgived on repentance. And so when there's brokenness, if someone demands forgiveness or acceptance, they're not repenting. So you step away and you stand apart as we already looked. But uh, you, you cannot become an enabler. Helping people feel comfortable in their sin is in itself a sin. You cannot become an enabler. You have to encourage people. But you also cannot become judgmental. I've shared before that I was a teenage alcoholic. I really struggled with it. And I was sitting and having lunch with a group of pastors. And, and I got saved at my sophomore year of high school. But it took a couple of years for me to get over the alcohol draw. And so I was having lunch with some pastors, a group of us. I don't remember why and how we all ended up together, but, uh, but it, was, it was a great lunch because someone else was paying for it. No, it was a fun time together for the most part. And, and it dawned on me, we were sitting in a steak restaurant and not once had I had a, a desire to drink alcohol. Now I had not had a drink for 15 years, but as anyone who's struggled with an addiction can tell, sometimes you still want to. You, you can't let yourself, but sometimes you want to. And so for years I had wanted to. I was a pastor and still had that desire in me sometimes to see it and, and it would turn your brain toward it. Um, but but uh, I hadn't had a drink in 15 years. And I shared with the other guys that, guys, this is the first time in 15 years that I've been in a steak restaurant and not wanted a drink of alcohol to go with my steak. And I was excited at the work God was doing in my life. And one of these other guys, you know, you're a pastor and you have a desire for alcohol. You should not be a pastor. And, you know, one of the other guys, one of the older guys came over. He put his arm around my shoulder and he said, man, it's so good to hear that. Praise God for the change in your life. Now, he never knew me beforehand. But I shared with him the change in my life following Christ. See, we come alongside people. We don't belittle them. We don't push them down. We don't enable them. Mm -hmm. But we're not judgmental either. We strike that balance that Jesus did. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, I love you just the way you are. You don't need to change anything. No, that's not what he said. So uh, don't be judgmental. Do your best to follow Jesus who showed love to all who were repentant and called for repentance to all who were not yet broken over their sin. All right, and number six, we need to stand with those who love, serve, and follow the Lord. Stand with them. Galatians 6, we just read verse 1. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean, to bear one another's burdens? Well, see, uh, if you look down a little later in the chapter, it says, um, verse 4, let each one examine his own work. Uh, each one, verse 5, each one shall bear his own load. Um, 
See, there, there's two different loads described here, two different burdens. One is like a backpack, a knapsack. That's, that's what you're planned to carry. You know, you're, you're packing it, you're going to carry it, and uh, you, that's your responsibility to do that. But then there's times when you have an overwhelming load that's too big. Like, you know, if we went outside and we picked one of the smaller cars in the parking lot, we could get a group of guys around that car and pick that car up off the ground. We could turn it sideways in its parking space, park real close on both ends, and that person could not get away. <laughs> I know that works because we did that to our youth pastor when I was a kid. <laughs> Not giving you any ideas, young people. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, we could do that. But I don't think there's anyone in this room who could walk out and pick up any one of the cars that are out there all by yourself. There's times we have an overwhelming burden. And we need somebody to step up. How do you know the difference? Well, Kathy and I have a rule in our personal relationship. We ask. Can I help you with this? Would you like help? Um, even, you know, if, if she fell on the floor, I would run up to help her. If I fell on the floor, that's happened frequently. And so it's, she would wait to see if I want help. Because if I can get back up by myself, that's what I want to do. I, I want to stretch the muscles. I want to do that. Uh, if I need help, I'll ask for help. So <laughs> yesterday, I was on the floor for this staging for this picture. Afterwards, she got up. She turned and looked at me, and I just raised my hand. And then she <laughs> lifted me up onto my feet because I, I was stuck, and, and she lifted me up. But uh, see, we stand with those. We help bear their burden. Because, hey, life hurts, right? There are burdens. Some of you have lost people you love. I know, that's hard. I was talking with uh, one of my sisters on the phone this past week. We still miss mom. It's been a long time since mom died, a dozen years. We still miss mom. And... Every now and then, there's something that happens in my life, <laughs> something funny that I know my mom would have loved. And just a couple months ago, I turned to Kathy and said, I got to call mom. I'm like, oh, I can't tell mom. Well, hopefully God will let her know because mom would really love this, right? Uh, you know, we, we experience grief. And, and it's not just the loss of a loved one, sometimes loss of a job, sometimes uh, physical difficulties in life. Sometimes you just want to share good news. So if somebody calls you just to praise the Lord together, don't be too busy for them. Share, stand with those who love, serve, and follow the Lord. And then look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So look, he says, recognize those who labor among you. We have faithful people serving in different ministries here in our church. Recognize them. Appreciate them. Pray for them. And then, uh, you know, admonish uh, those who are teachers in that process, they're admonishing you and esteem them very highly in love. 
for their work's sake. So, so what you need to do is you need to appreciate their works and overlook their quirks, right? They're different than you. Different is good. God made us different. Kathy and I were sitting in the airport waiting for her sister to fly in from England. And we were watching all these people, international uh, flights arriving and all these people walking by. And I turned to Kathy and I said, how is it possible that some white people would think they're better than other people because of the color of their skin? Just, just look at the variety that God has put on planet Earth. How could you possibly think that skin tone makes you better than somebody else or makes theirs worse than you, them worse than you? It just doesn't make sense. God created variety. And your, your faith is personal, but you also, you individually need to be saved. But your relationship with Christ is personal. You need to trust and follow him every day. Uh, but your service for Christ is communal. This is what we do together. We share in together. We, we're all in this together. We accept and support. Um, we sometimes also correct and rebuke. Uh, we stand side by side as equal members of the body of Christ and full partners in the work of the Lord. We join together. We stand with those. And as we read earlier in the service from Romans 12, uh, for we have... As we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're coming together. We're called together. We serve together. We know Christ individually, but we serve him collectively. We are the family of God the body of Christ. We are members one of another. That's what God's word says. That's how we're supposed to respond. We are standing alone together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can follow you. We thank you that you loved us even in our sinfulness and that you made a way of salvation for each one of us. We thank you for your love and grace, and we pray that we would extend your love and grace to others, to those who might disagree with us about certain things. May we show love and grace. To those who contradict your scripture, may we show the resolve to stand true to what your word says, even if they find it offensive. Let not our behavior be offensive, but let us take a stand that is true to your word. I pray that you would help us to be standing alone together in the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.